This is part two of episode 15. For Peter's half of the podcast, please see part one of episode 15. My story is like yours in in almost in no way. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's no bridge. If yours is what I think it is, then it happens out in the ocean, far from yeah. the mainland. Not far. Oh. Not far. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> far from mainland shore. It's a, is Florida the mainland? Yes. Are you sure? Because they really feel like their own thing. Florida. In in spirit and in body. Florida, are you okay? Florida is America's flaccid penis. (laughs) I waited a second to insert that joke in in case I decide to cut it out. (laughs) (laughs) But then when you look at it on the map. Okay. (laughs) Just for Florida, for one second, I I just have to say gay, 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 gay. Also, okay. Homo. <laughs> Insert bi, pan, mm-hmm. trans, mm-hmm. lesbian. Mm-hmm. I'm just gonna just hit them all. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. say say extra words recently to offset Florida. <laughs> gay, 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 gay. I'm just waiting for the YouTube thing to show up. That's like this video is blocked in Florida. Researching this, Florida thinks that, like, sorry, Google thinks that I'm about to visit Florida, so I keep getting, like, travel ads for Florida. And also plane crash videos. That's upsetting. Yeah, I don't, I, please stop. Google, this is, this is an open invitation to stop recommending plane crash videos to me. I don't want them. Okay. Hey, well, while we're on that subject, Google, this is an open invitation to try to stop radicalizing me. With weird YouTube video suggestions. What are they trying to radicalize you for? Right-wing stuff. What was I talking about earlier? Yeah, it's so cringe. It is so cringe. Is it because you're a straight white man with a podcast? Probably. Is that why? Is that why YouTube? It's YouTube. Why? It is. It's so cringy. Anyway. Anyway, subscribe to our (laughs) channel. That's not what's happening here. (laughs) We are not trying to radicalize you. Gay, 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 gay. <laughs> Trans, lesbian. <laughs> Bisexual. Non-binary. Pan. Polyamory. <laughs> Asexual. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> That's not what I'm... Okay, sorry. <laughs> There's an airplane. <laughs> the irony. <laughs> There's an airplane right now. Uh, today I am covering Flight 19. Do you, heard of, do you know anything about Flight 19? No, but it sounds like it was super early if there's only 18 flights before that. Was one of those flights the one that, like, the first one with, like, you know, Wilbur and Orville Redenbacher? <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> was that Flight 1? <laughs> no. It's not, that's not what's happening here. Oh, okay. I, I know nothing about flights. 
<laughs> we did I have did. a flight earlier. We went to a local distillery and had a flight there. And no, it was, it was a good experience. <laughs> okay, so you really... Okay, never mind. Never mind. <laughs> I'm missing something here. Yeah, okay. I, I don't... I was just wondering if you'd heard of it. I, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> On December 5th, 1945, five Avenger torpedo bombers took off from Naval Air Station in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. That was a lot of Decembers after the first flight. <laughs> yes, but like many flights in between. This wasn't like the 19th time that anyone took off. Like this wasn't the 19th <laughs> time that humans flew. But it was also more than the 19th year since those things had happened, so. It was nothing to do with that. Okay. <laughs> nothing to do with that. This was the 19th <laughs> flight that day, actually. Oh, okay. Or at least of this training exercise. Okay. What were they training? I guess they were training their I wouldn't planes. tell you. Like, if you gave me, like, a second, I would tell you. They were training their planes? Yes. That would make a good new animated movie. How to train your planes. <laughs> I'm literally one sentence into this story. <laughs> one sentence! Sorry. Okay, let's let's get two sentences out. <laughs> What's the second sentence? <laughs> okay. This was 1945. Okay. It's December. It's a few 20 days before Christmas. Okay. Okay. So this is this is a Christmas story. <laughs> no, stop. <laughs> this is a Christmas themed no, episode. No, all right, two All right, let's, let's get that third sentence. We're on a roll. Let's get that third I, sentence I, out. I wasn't even. I, this is. I'm. That, I was recapping my first sentence. I'm not even on the second sentence. No. We're oh. still not there yet. Oh. These five Avenger torpedo bombers were flying a routine training exercise led by instructor Lieutenant Charles C. Taylor. Is there any correlation to Marvel's The Avengers? I was waiting for that. Okay. Ah, uh, that was easy. That was easy. Yeah, no, that's a... Uh, just the Marvel jokes are going to be abundant right, in this because right, right. these are about the, the Avengers. <laughs> Did we go to meet Captain Marvel? I'm about to say something really controversial just to see how much that it uh, irates anyone listening. I'm going to go ahead and say that Carol Danvers is my favorite adventure. <laughs> Not even lying. I'll defend that, too. I got facts to back me up. <laughs> you tell me your story. I can get really controversial really fast, actually. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Before you do. <laughs> I took a loud sip just to make sure that was audio. Alright, sentence four. I have to get really controversial really fast. Oh. To follow up here. Oh, all right. Are we about to meet Carol Danvers? Never mind. <laughs> oh, oh. The moment's passed. Oh, no. Oh, no. Goodbye moment. The times we had were good, and I'll remember them. I know you gotta rein it in for just a second. <laughs> oh, my God. I told you this was a short story, but at this rate, it is not. <laughs> The Avenger torpedo bomber was designed during World War II and was pivotable. Pivotable. Yes, able to be pivoted. Stop it. Okay. They could pivot it. Okay. Stop. Yes. Yes. All right. <laughs> 
The Avenger torpedo bomber was designed during World War II and was pivotal in the combat against battleships and submarines. Oh, that gives a different that gives a different meaning. I see what you say. Okay. <laughs> I have to get through this, okay? We're up here. Pivot. Stop. <laughs> shut up. Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> I ha- I did so much work, so much research on this to really set the scene, and here you are. The Avengers are manned by a three-person crew, a pilot, a turret gunner, and a bombardier. Okay. So these are decently big planes, though. Yeah, they're, like, actually pretty big and, like, bulky if you see a picture of them. Okay. And then I think in some cases you can fit a fourth crew member in the cockpit. Okay. See, I can ask these questions because I don't know anything about planes. I I tried to learn as much as I could about this plane for this. I know my grandfather was in a bomber in World War II, and I don't even know what kind of bomber. It sounds like he was in, like, a quite a big, like, a B-17 bomber, like a really big one. Yeah, but since he was RAF, I'm like, what did they call those? B-17s were Americans, right? Yeah, but, like, I'm picturing how that was, like, a pretty big one with, like, a huge chamber you could walk around. These weren't like that. These were, like... A big place for four people to sit. Okay, like, yes. They were significantly smaller than that type of plane. Okay. So they were somewhere in between, like, like a little one-person plane and a huge bomber. Okay, okay. All right, visual has been made in my head. Okay. Okay. Lieutenant Charles Taylor was leading a total of 13 students in five planes, and each plane carried a full crew, except for one, which only had a pilot and one crew member, because earlier that day, Corporal Alan Cosnar had asked to be excused from the exercise. The exercise assigned to students that day was known as Navigation Problem Number 1, a combination of a bombing run and a navigational test. So now, I guess visualize, like, Florida, but, like, where the eye florida is the little like if you know how there's a lake and it kind of looks like florida is a turtle with an eye and there's like a little lake this is the first time i'm ever visualizing florida that way okay (laughs) so yes that and then the expanse of water leading up to the bahamas above cuba okay okay Okay. (laughs) This is how I think about maps. Okay. So, the students were to take off from Fort Lauderdale, like a little near that eye, Mm -hmm. and then fly east. If you're looking at a map, they're flying to the left towards the Bahamas, but halfway there, they're going to stop. I'm going to stop you there. East is right. (sighs) My God. This is why I'm confused. I don't know the difference between left and right. East on a map is right. I, I, like, I know that intellectually, but just not like... Okay. Not in practice. I don't know. Oh, no. <laughs> Students were to fly east from Fort Lauderdale towards the Bahamas, stop to practice a bombing run over Hen and Chicken Shoals. After they dropped their bombs, they would continue to fly straight for 73 nautical miles and then turn to the north and fly 120 nautical miles over Grand Bahama 
before turning southwest and flying back to Fort Lauderdale. So like a triangle pattern. So this is where I like really got lost in this story was the navigation and the map part of it. I know you're really good at maps and I'm terrible at maps. I am actually gonna have to stop you there because here's one thing I don't know. How does a nautical mile compare to a uh, interstate highway mile? I looked it up and I still don't know. I still like I'm still confused. It's like a nautical mile is like one point like three miles or something. I don't know. Like <laughs> a nautical mile is a little over a mile. Exactly. I don't know. I'm mad about it. They were essentially flying in kind of like an isosceles triangle, like from the southern part of Florida, mm -hmm. off the east coast, mm -hmm. towards the Bahamas, mm -hmm. stopping halfway there to do a bombing run, mm -hmm. continuing the rest of the way, and mm -hmm. then turning, like if you're looking at a map, turning like left, like up the map. Mm -hmm. flying a little bit and then turning like left and down on mm -hmm. the map to go back to the southern part of Florida. I'm not a map person, so this was the hardest part of the story for me. Like I had to sit and like map this out. So bear with me. <laughs> um, this is a big boy math geometry question, but an isosceles triangle, that's one of the ones that's like, a little taller than it is wide, yeah, it's right? Like, yes. I think like yeah. two sides are like equal distance and then one side is shorter. Yeah. But So I like guess... the short distance would have been their eastbound and then their north they would have gone further north than east, right? From the numbers you gave. You no. said they did like a hundred nautical miles north? Oh my god. This is the part that hurts my brain. No. Yes. Ooh. Did you know the word for mile comes from Latin, word for a thousand paces, mile passus. How does that translate to nautical miles? Mm, because you're not walking on water. A thousand Jesus steps. Huh? <laughs> 1,100 Jesus steps. <laughs> um, there are, if you Google uh, Flight 19 and Navigational Problem 1, you can get a map of this course. Okay. Which makes it kind of easier to visualize. Okay. Um, if you're listening, take this time to Google this map on your phone and follow along with us. I'm sorry, this was the hardest part of the story and I tried really hard to like make, dumb this down and make like explain this the way that I wanted to explain to me and... You say dumb this down, but you use, you literally just use the word isosceles triangle. <laughs> like... Oh no. Um, the triangle, it's, it's a triangle, sorry. It is a triangle. Uh, they're flying in a triangular pattern. They're yes. making turns at three points. Yes. Okay. For triangle stuff. I, th I think we I think we drove that one into the ground. Oh my god! <laughs> Sorry, we drove that one into the sea. <sighs> that joke's not gonna age well. Uh oh. <laughs> this entire route was about three hundred and sixteen nautical miles long, which is three hundred and sixteen thousand Jesus steps long. <laughs> All right. Okay. I know exactly what you're talking about. Keep going. <laughs> And they were navigating using a method called dead reckoning, 
which is where a pilot calculates their position using their speed and last known position. So it's like math, elite math. I'm guessing, I think. Okay. And isosceles triangles. No, no, no. Just if you think, so like if you're going, and you're like, I think it's going to take me 20 minutes to get from where I started to point B. Mm -hmm. And then I hope that that's the place I'm supposed to bomb. That sounds like what dead reckoning is to me. Okay. I know people who drive like this and they always end up calling me being like, I'm lost. I need help getting directions. That also... (laughs) Oh no. What? Oh no. <laughs> I'm so stressed out. <laughs> what? <laughs> we have to start over. This isn't going well. <laughs> We're only like 10 sentences in now. <laughs> I'm sorry. The. Okay. All right. Sorry. Yes. Back to the Avengers. Not the Marvel Avengers. <laughs> you joke, but like imagine being in this bulky plane over water where nothing you can. Like. The only thing you can see is water. And the only way you know where you are is like calculating your last position and the time it took you to hope you are where you think you are. Okay. Like that would be such an isolating experience. Like the closest, and this isn't an isolated, but the closest thing I can do to empathize is think of like times when I've been on flights across the Atlantic. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is a weird tangent, but... Back in the era before, you know, like, I had my cell phone when I was, like, a little kid flying across the Atlantic. And I knew the flight was technically, you know, yes, so many hours, but, like, I hadn't, you know, when you're a kid, you don't really Mm. have that kind of time sense. So you're just like, I have been over water forever. I didn't know there was so much water and so much cloud and so little human. Yes, now imagine you're the pilot. (laughs) Okay, okay, that's okay. I'm close now. I'm not there, but I'm maybe a nautical mile away. Oh my god. The five Avengers took off for their training exercise at 1.10 p.m. Um, they actually left about like half an hour late because Lieutenant Taylor was late. And then they flew towards Hen and Chickle. It's <laughs> not a word. It's like a combination between a chicken and a shekel. Oh no. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Okay. A shekel? Any of it. <laughs> what any of that is. You know what a chicken is. But. <laughs> don't know. Not anymore. Not in this context. <laughs> and then they flew towards Hen and Chicken Shoals. So by about 3 p.m. they were wrapping up their bombing run. Um, we know this because a student was overheard on the radio asking permission to drop his last torpedo. Uh-huh. So it sounds like, like it was peacetime. So the radio channels were just open. So like... Oil tankers could hear them. Other planes could hear them. Everyone could just hear each other out there. Like you're just listening to each other's phone conversations all day long. It sounds wild, even in peacetime, for a military exercise to... I don't know how the radios work on at that era with the military, but I guess now I'm just imagining, like, you know, truckers where you can just listen to shortwave radio. It, it so- Yes, keep that in mind, because it sounds like that plays into this a lot. Oh, Like, okay. that kind of idea where you can just, like, hear each other okay. is kind of how we triangulated, like, where Flight 19 was at specific points. Okay. I feel like they don't do that anymore. <laughs> what do I know? I mean, I don't do that. I assume someone's always listening. <laughs> Sup, Google? <laughs> hey, Google, are you listening? 
You have my full attention. Oh, <laughs> Thanks, Google. About 40 minutes later, Lieutenant Robert Cox, who was the instructor on Flight 18, which had flown the same mission 25 minutes earlier with his students, heard a transmission from an unidentified person asking Captain E.J. Powers for his compass reading. Captain Powers responded with, I don't know where we are. We must have gotten lost after that last turn. Hmm. Captain Powers was one of the students on Flight 19. And Lieutenant Cox tried to make radio contact with the unidentified pilot or boat, because at this point he doesn't actually know who he's talking to or who he's hearing, uh, but he's trying to offer assistance. So after a few minutes of trying with no response, Lieutenant Taylor responds with, both my compasses are out and I'm trying to find Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I'm over land, but it's broken. I'm sure I'm in the Keys, but I don't know how far down and I don't know how to get to Fort Lauderdale. Mm. Lieutenant Cox then radios Naval Air Station to tell them that they have lost planes. And this is at 3.45 p.m. So the Florida Keys are south of Florida. Yeah, it's like a long string of islands. Mm -hmm. Like They almost look like a barrier island system, but they're not really. They just kind of extend out to the water towards Cuba. Exactly. So they're south of the tip of Florida. Mm -hmm. Like if you're looking at that map, they're like way down to the bottom. When again, they were supposed to be flying east towards the Bahamas. So Uh that would put them hundreds of miles from where they're supposed to be. Also, if they were flying east towards the Bahamas and then go north after that, that meant that they would have made a wrong term altogether because that would have made them going south. Yeah, that would be completely... Like, even if they had made a wrong turn and gone south, they still shouldn't be in the Keys. Yeah, and, and I'm like, how... I'm like, are they sure they weren't mistaking the Bahamas with the Keys? Because the Bahamas are also kind of like a little string of islands, too. Yeah, that, that's that's an incredible difference. Okay. So the Naval Air Station now gets involved, and they have several hours of like confusing and disjointed radio transmissions where Taylor is saying that they're in the Keys. He's absolutely convinced that they're in, in the Florida Keys. Okay. And that they have to fly north to get home to Florida, to Fort Lauderdale. But everyone's telling him to go west so th- because they think he's in the Bahamas, like you said. Yeah. And I think at one point they actually just tell him, oh, like, you are in the Keys. Like, clearly you're right. Go north. It- it's very confusing, like, trying to figure out these radio transmissions because you don't know who is talking because they're coming in, like, mm-hmm. fragmented. If I was lost over the keys, and I thought I was over the keys, but I wasn't sure, if you went, I'm not, I guess also I don't know how much gas like these planes can carry, how far they can go. I was like, I would go slightly northwest, because if I was over the Atlantic and I went northwest, I would run into the continental U.S. If I was in the keys and went northwest, I would run over the, like, I would be going over, like, the Gulf Coast. Mm-hmm. So they had about a thousand miles worth of fuel. At this point, we can assume... That assu- should be enough. Yeah, at this point, we can assume... That they've used between two and three hundred. Yeah, that yeah that that would be enough. If you were to just fly like straight across the Gulf from that, it is about a thousand miles, so you wouldn't make it if you were going straight. But that's like straight west, right? Yeah, exactly. Straight west. But if you went like straight, like if you went like northwest, you'd end up over like you know the Redneck Riviera, like Mobile, Alabama. Yeah, but that's only if they were there. Yeah, but then I was thinking, like, if they were over the Bahamas and went slightly northwest, they'd end up running over, like, 
and they went northwest in that direction, then they'd eventually hit probably, like, you know, South Carolina or, like, maybe Southern North Carolina, visualizing it in my head. Yeah, I don't, I don't know the distance. I don't know if they would have made it. No, I don't, I don't know. Oh, that, that'd be a slightly greater distance. <laughs> but that's right? only if they were there. Didn't they have radar back then? Radar was developed during World War II. I'm really confused about the radar here. Because they didn't... It doesn't seem like they had that on the planes. I That's where I'm confused because I find very little mention of the radar. So I don't know how radar comes into play here. Because I found very little mention of radar. But like 1945, the British had developed radar because they used it during the Battle of Britain. But then they gave it to the Americans because the Americans had radar too. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I don't, I, I, I couldn't find where Flight 19 was showing up on radar or where, if they even had them on radar or if they were over, I don't know. Uh, okay. That was the thing that really confused me and I kept looking for like mentions of them in radar and I, that was something that like, that's a really big hole in this that I could not fill. Okay. So in the bits and pieces of the radio transmissions that they're getting, at one point Taylor says, we can't find West. Everything is wrong. We can't be sure of any direction. Everything looks strange, even the ocean. And that's like a common theme in this. He's talking about the ocean like being the wrong color and like the air looking wrong. Hmm. Which is just, it's super unsettling. That is weird yeah which also like i can't there's something like that's extra creepy to me about like being able to contact someone and being like hey something's wrong i'm in this like dire situation but you only being able to like hear them mm. and you can't see them you don't know where they are and you can't fix it and then if you're the person who needs help you're just in this like tiny plane over this huge expanse of water it's like it gets so creepy <laughs> It's like in Stranger Things when they're able to contact the kid and the upside down <gasps> oh, and they no. like just hear like, yeah, but like they can't it actually. Is, it is like that. That makes you think of Stranger Things. <sighs> it's, it's, it's so unsettling. So using where they think that Flight 19 is, they dispatch a rescue um, sea airplane called a Dumbo. Okay. And they immediately lose contact with it. They can't communicate with it at all. Huh. They're still listening to Flight 19 over the radio, and Taylor is insisting that his compasses are out and that they are not over the Bahamas. Okay. And remember, Taylor's a really experienced pilot. Like He's the guy who's leading the training mission, right? Yeah, he's the instructor. Like He's the teacher. Mm -hmm. So he's got like almost 2,500 hours of flying time. He's flown... And, like, fought combat missions in World War II. Mm -hmm. Like, he's extremely experienced. Mm -hmm. But they're also getting messages or radio contact from the students that they can identify. And one of them says, if we just fly west, we could get home. So it's like the students are, or, like, at least one of these students are experiencing something different from Taylor. Mm. Because it seems like... Like, the logic of if we fly west, we go home. The student thinks they're over the Bahamas. I wonder what happened, because, of course, I'm not a military man myself. Maybe one of our listeners has been in the military. 
what happens in a situation like this where it's just like, you know, like a shit hits the fan situation, like if you just break away and you're like, I need to go west right now because like we're all lost, but I have a hunch that west is the right direction to go. Like like what ha- like do you get disciplined for that? Like what happens? Yeah, that's a big question about this because it's like if they thought that then because breaking chain of command is like a big deal. Yeah, but but like me in this situation, like I know I'm incredibly overconfident in my sense of direction. I don't think that's entirely unfounded because you have an incredibly good sense of direction. But like, like, like in the in this occasion, I'd be like, is it better for me to get disciplined and just be like, I think I know the right way to go, or yeah. Spoiler alert! It's it's better to yeah. Oh, well, tell me about this person then, who... Uh, no, I can't tell you about this person. I don't know who this person is, but spoiler alert, I think the way this ends, might as well see what happens if you fly west. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Um, so at this point, it's been hours. They're they're burning fuel, and remember, they have a limited amount. Um, and at some point, storms start moving in. And they're like getting spotty communication back and forth with Flight 19 and the naval base. It's like being in an emergency and having to wait 20 minutes for someone to text you back. Mm-hmm. And I guess I'm talking about like radar and radio communication, but at the time, to 1945, they wouldn't have had like satellites. Mm-mm. No, they, they wouldn't have no. had satellite communication. Remember, math is not happening in space yet. Yeah, there's no math in space, so like, <laughs> there's no math in space. I guess yeah. At, at a certain point in time, yeah, you probably you probably do have spotty communication once you're far enough mm-hmm. out there. Yeah, and I think it gets spottier and spottier as they go. It sounds like at 7:04 p.m., they hear Lieutenant Taylor for the last time over the radio. Oh, that's five hours later. Yeah, they've they're out there burning fuel. They have no idea where these planes have been flying to. They don't know where they're going. Mm-hmm. They don't know where they were when they started. Mm-hmm. Um, but his last message is: All planes close up tight. We have to ditch unless landfall. When the first plane drops below ten gallons, we all go down together. And that is the last thing that the base heard from the instructor and his students. So ditching means that you are landing a plane in the water. And landing is in quotes because you're gracefully falling. Mm -hmm. And Avengers were known to be a bulky, top-heavy plane that would flip on impact. Um, after they quote-unquote land, they have 15 to 30 seconds to get an emergency inflatable life raft out of the cockpit and safely get all three crew members onto the raft. After that, the plane's going to sink. And then they have to stay warm and survive the night in a raft. Also, it's a big plane, too. And uh, if that plane's sinking fast into the water, you said they've got an inflatable yeah, they've got like an emergency life raft. So theoretically, when they're saying we're going to ditch at 10 gallons, this is the reality that these students are facing. Uh-huh. But also when that plane goes, like lands in the water too, supposing they land it well, they get out the plane. That plane then proceeds to sink into the water and that produces an enormous sucking into the ocean as it goes down. Because, like, that's oh, what God. happens when ships ew. sink. Ew, 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 creepy. Like, it tries to pull you down ew. with it because that, yeah, that's how fluid ew. dynamics work. Ew. Like, even if, like you, you gotta be far away from a sinking ship or else it will pull you down with it, like, from how I understand things. 
you know? I'm sure they had protocols in place for that because Taylor had actually, in wartime, ditched three Avengers himself. Okay. Like, he'd already been through this. He'd done this. Like, <clears throat> allegedly, he did this once without even getting his uniform wet. Like, this was a cool under pressure kind of guy, and he's done this before. Okay. So, allegedly, that's possible, and you can survive that. Yeah, no, just 15 seconds. But, I mean, it's not it's him. Fast. It's, it's not, not him I'm worried about. You know, it's the students, mm-hmm. because they have definitely not done this before. So, knowing that this is the reality that their instructor and students are facing, the airbase sends out two Martin Mariners, which is a flying patrol boat to look for Flight 19. This is a huge plane. Did they ever... This is enormous. Wait, did they ever make contact with that Dumbo? Actually, I'm glad you asked about that. It came back. Its antenna froze. This is is just the chaos that's happening. Can you imagine being in this control tower and this is happening? Like you've got one plane that with like spotty communication, you can't figure out what's going on. You've got the flight before them being like, I think they're over here. I heard this little bit. And then you send out a rescue plane and then you lose contact with it. And then like as you're still trying to figure this out, your first rescue plane comes back and they're like, by the way, my antenna froze. This is chaos. What is unfolding right now is so stressful. Yeah, no, I've lost my cool over far less. (laughs) Like, I I have lost my cool over minimal things. (laughs) So our second rescue planes, the Mariners, take off at 727. Okay. So it's December. It's it's dark. It's dark. It's cold. Yeah. Yeah, it's December. Yeah, the the sun is... See you later. I'll be back tomorrow. In fact, the sun would have gone down when they had to make an emergency landing, too. Mm -hmm. It would have been dark then. That's another thing is like approaching darkness over where nothing you can see. Like, it's just all water. Like, there's not even lights from cities. How how would you emergency land a plane in the over the ocean in the... How would you do it's it? It's horrifying. It's how, so like, scary. There, there's, like, if it's a clear night, you can maybe just be like, well, there's stars, so I know I have to go in the opposite direction. And it's storming. Stars, Remember, but... the weather's bad, too. Okay, yes, there's no... Okay, so literally... Like, it's raining, there's thunder, who, and it's dark. Okay, who knows? You could literally be flying straight down. Oh, God. And you wouldn't know. Like, how, how would you know if your compass is out? Okay. Lieutenant Walter G. Jeffries Mariner radios that they're approaching the last presumed position of Flight 19. The Mariner and its 13 crew members are never heard from again. And this is what time? Uh, shortly after 727. In the last position knowing that was right after that they had crossed uh what was it uh hen and chicken the shoal so, it was right when they passed the shoal or was it when they so it was actually they think all of this is alleged because they actually don't know where they were but the the last the the last presumed location so i think they assume that they completed their bombing run at Hen and Chicken Shoals. Okay. And then they completed that first leg of the journey before they turned north over Grand Bahama Island. And I think they think I think that they think that they got lost after flying north over Grand Bahama. Okay, yes. But I don't 
know for sure. I'm very confused. Yeah, because if I was, like, if it was me in the control tower and my extensive knowledge of Google Maps, I would be like, these people are mistaking the Bahamas for the Florida Keys. Well, that's what they thought at one point. Yeah, yeah. They, they I, thought... I understand that line of thinking. Yeah, that's what they thought at one point. They thought, like, oh, you're over the Bahamas, just go west. And Taylor was like, no, I'm over the Keys. I know where I am. I'm an experienced yeah. pilot. So they sent the Mariner, like, kind of north as though they were going to intercept them, like, over the Bahamas. Mm-hmm. But at that point, they had also been flying for hours, so there's no telling, like, if that's where they were, that they'd been flying over the Atlantic. But I think Taylor thought that he was in the Keys, which means that they would have been going over the Gulf of Mexico. But I'm not convinced that anyone really knows where they were to begin with. But if you're going that long over the Gulf of Mexico, you would have hit, like, the Florida Panhandle or something. You would have hit land by then if you're going north for that long. Like they're, Not they're, if they told about... him to go west and he went west. And then he doesn't know what direction he's going anyway because he says both his compasses are broken. It's confusing. Like, it's really confusing. Okay, okay so they have no idea where the... They have no idea where Flight 19 is. However, they have lost contact with the rescue crew... Somewhere between Hen and Chicken Shoals and Grand Bahama. So... Is how I... Is, is, the, is that correct? No. The Mariner didn't fly over... So, Hen and Chicken Shoals is kind of south. So, again, if we're looking at that eye, of the eye of the turtle on Florida, this is how I understand maps. Mm -hmm. The Mariner took off and kind of went... It went northeast from that eye, north of Grand Bahama. Again, I know this is confusing and complicated. Um, I had to... Google Maps to figure this out. Yeah, I just I just pulled up Google Maps right now. Yeah. It's, this is this is very visual. This will be very helpful on YouTube. Because that that's the thing, like compared to the Florida Keys, as I'm looking at Google Maps right now, yes, the Bahamas is kind of like a it is kind of like a string of islands, kind of similar to the Florida Keys, but compared to the two, there's a huge size difference. The the Bahamas are far bigger mm -hmm. than the Keys, the the island sizes. They are many yeah, times larger. I thought they were like over the Abaco Islands. I don't I don't know. Like I don't know if they're right. <laughs> yeah, because because it does work like a string of islands, but at the same time, like yeah, the, the, in terms of landmass, yeah, the Bahamas are far far bigger than the Florida Keys. The Florida Keys are little islands. It's, it's it's like comparing, like, I mean, it's, it's like comparing the Bahamas to, like, the Outer Banks of North Carolina. Mm -hmm. Like, the Florida Keys are, like, they're little islands. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I'm so, I'm so confused because everyone who writes about this, like, has an angle of just, like, well, this is where I think they were. And I, I, I don't know where I think they were. I have no idea. So, because it's nighttime and storms are rolling in, they don't launch a full search until the next morning. And when they did, they sent out hundreds of planes and ships to search for Flight 19 and the missing Martin Mariner. And at the time, it was the largest search and rescue mission of peacetime. And they found nothing. I mean, at the same time, though, if you're sending something the next day, your chances are slim. 
but like all kinds of weird things happening in the search. At one point, like over military channels, <clears throat> they got like an SOS signal and no one knows what that was from. During the search the next day or during I think the it was initial... the next day. I don't like, I think it was the next day. It was definitely during the search, but they got like a, a signal during a military, over a military channel, but that didn't come to anything. Um, and then there were people like reporting all up and down the Florida coast about seeing things like, but like nothing came to anything. And I think one of the rescue planes actually like went down and they had to rescue them and they got really excited of just like, oh, we found them. And it turns out they were like one of the rescue planes that they sent. It was bad. This makes you think of like any time that like someone goes missing though and the news finds out about it and you hear like. 50 false leads about, yeah, like, where you this hear person about, is. Yeah, you like, hear about this convicted, like, killer being seen all across the U.S. at the same time. Yeah. If anyone's following along with us, I just looked up Hen and Chicken Shoals on Google Maps, and it gave me somewhere that is, like, literally right next to the Florida Keys. That is wrong. And, yeah, t- Tiffany, yes... You believe that is wrong <laughs> no from everything that i've seen it it is wrong like on this bombing path it's the one that they were there's i think there's multiple hidden chicken trolls like across the world but yeah, or yeah. in the area but there's the particular shoal that they were bombing was headed from the east coast of florida to the bahamas and um i was gonna list my sources at the end but i'll go ahead and uh list this one um, the podcast Astonishing Legends did an excellent, like, five-part series on this. Okay. Um, and they, um, if you uh, Google uh, Astonishing Legends Flight 19, they have, like, a YouTube video where they walk you through for, like, 16 minutes on Google Maps the path that the flight took and, like, the different points of, like, radio transmissions... Um, it's like, it's so thorough. It was so helpful when I was trying to visualize and understand this. Um, but yes, the hen and chicken trolls that comes up when you go, like look it up on Google maps is it's not the right one. Okay. That one's like <laughs> a snorkeling tourist location in the Florida Keys. If you look at the reviews, they're like, I saw a whole bunch of sea turtles in my snorkel mask. That is not right. <laughs> one of my favorite snorkel spots in Ismerata. A little bit deeper than the other spots, so maybe better suited for experienced snorkelers if conditions are marginal. Used clearly unique... Is it Ismerada? I don't know. Ismerada? I don't know that word. It's not Ismeralda. There's no L. Of Whale Harbor Marina with a sandbar stop afterwards. That was five stars by Angela Gibson, a local guide. Thank you, Angela. (laughs) Anyway, that is not... That is the snorkel hotspot of the Keys. That is not the 1945 bombing run location. Yes, and we are not a podcast that looks up snorkeling hotspots in the Florida Keys <laughs> and reads reviews about them. Because after what was, at the time, the largest peacetime rescue mission, they found no trace of any of these six planes, and 27 men are unaccounted for. That's even crazier about the the rescue mission they sent out because I I assume the rescue mission, they wouldn't have been like, hey, you guys are just going to fly and kind of have to guess. Like, they would have sent them out fully equipped, right? Yeah, I I think they... 
I assume that at the time they had a pretty good idea. And of course, so much has been lost to conjecture and everyone just kind of like assuming and having a, an opinion on where they think that they might have been. But at the time yeah. they were the military, they were the first responders. They would have had a good, pretty good idea of where they were sending this rescue plane. Yeah. Um, and they ended up launching a huge investigation into to figure out what happened and who was at fault. And what they found about this rescue plane, the Martin Mariner, they got a report from an oil tanker called the SS Gaines Mills. And they claimed to have seen an explosion near where the Mariner should have been. And then when we, they went to investigate, they saw an oil slick on the water. But they found no debris, no bodies, no, just an oil slick. Hmm. And everyone kind of assumes that that's evidence of, like, a crash or it just exploded on takeoff and, and case closed. That's what happened. I mean, that explosion came from somewhere. That oil came mm -hmm. from somewhere. But it's just weird that there's no debris. And again, they've never found this plane here 80 years later. As you may have noticed, I found this story, like, incredibly difficult to digest because it is so nuanced like there's elements of the historical factor navigation military hierarchy there's mm -hmm. there's so much going on mm -hmm. and then there's planes mm -hmm. and and plane stuff mm -hmm. which i admittedly grew up going to air shows and being around planes but retained no information okay uh, so to help me understand this, I conducted an interview, okay. our first ever interview. Okay. And I called the pilot. Oh, all right. All right. <laughs> so I called my dad. <laughs> all right. All who right. is indeed a pilot. <laughs> I had to get special permission to conduct this interview, which I did receive. <laughs> From the other pilots? From a entity. Okay. Okay. <laughs> from Mr. Triangle himself? <laughs> from an entity that we won't discuss. I got permission to interview my own father. Okay. Um, and the first question that I had was about flight time. All right. So a lot of sources are quick to point out that Lieutenant Taylor had 2,509.3 flight hours. Okay. And 616 of those hours were in Avengers, while his students only had about 300 hours of flight time. Okay. So a lot of people are just like, well, his students were just so inexperienced. So that had to be a factor in this. So I wanted to ask a pilot what 300 hours of flight time looks like. Yeah. So going back to their flight times, that is something that gets brought up a lot um, because the Taylor, the uh, instructor, you know, had 2,000 such and such hours and the others had 300. So a lot of people, uh, it seems like they chalk it up to inexperience. But, you know, most of us can't really comprehend you know, because other things aren't, other skills aren't measured in hours the same way that flight time is. You're not like, I have 2,000 hours of crochet time. Um, 
so what is what is 300 hours of flight time look like okay from personal experience 300 a little over 300 hours of flight time for me meant i've got a private pilot's license an instrument rating commercial license and a multi-engine commercial license so what happens is say like you said 300 hours of flight time that means you've got 300 hours literally 300 hours on the clock behind the controls of an airplane either as a student pilot or as a pilot in command so that that's your flight experience and of course that varies in night flying instrument flying multi-engine flying um cross-country flying um but it's it's when you're looking at someone, it sounds low, 300 hours flight time, but for somebody who to have 300 hours flight time, they are fairly experienced. And for somebody to have upwards of 2,500, 3,000 hours of flight time, like um, um, uh, Lieutenant Taylor had, um, that's that's a significant amount of experience uh, at the controls of an aircraft. So you can't, you can't really, so it's not justified to make the claim that this was due to an experience. No, no, I, I uh, Taylor uh, specifically uh, had combat experience flying off carrier in the Pacific during World War II. And the, to be honest, flying off of a carrier in the Pacific, going and finding an enemy, and then coming and finding your aircraft carrier in a single engine aircraft in all that ocean um, is hard. Um, the flight that they were doing somewhat easier they're coming off the coast of florida they're going to the bahamas they're flying over the bahamas and they're turning back to the west and, and going back to florida uh and when you compare the two missions um yeah that the the what flight 19 was actually doing uh, a, a much easier mission they're still over water they're still in an area where there's a lot of open water but the trick is too where they were at all you'd have to do is take a westerly heading all you have to do is Turn the compass to west, and you're going to hit the coast of the United States. You're going to hit the coast of Florida, and then you're going to find an airport right there. So, and and that's one of the tragedies because it sounds like to me that Taylor got confused um, and mistook the Florida Keys, uh, or actually the Bahamas for the Florida Keys, and that kind of threw a monkey wrench into everything at that point. Coming straight from an outside perspective. <laughs> but yes, so that is my dad. He's He's been a pilot since the 80s. Um, yeah, so like in 300 hours, he got like a bunch of different licenses to pilot an aircraft. <laughs> 300 hours is what? 40-hour um, work weeks? So I did, that's, so that's... I, I mathed it out. I did. I did some math. And so if you were flying for six hours a day, every single day, seven days a week, yeah, that's two months. Yeah, that's, yeah. Like, that's not nothing. You may not be an expert, but you're not a novice. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what you're doing. They, they pass people through driver's ed for far less. Yeah, I ran a red light during my driving test, so. You just told the whole world. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I sh- <laughs> Hi, it's me. I shouldn't have a driver's license. <laughs> I ran a red light and she passed me. Oh, my. Sup. Thank you very much. I've gotten better since then, I swear. 
Yeah, so these were fairly experienced pilots. They were also admittedly very young. A lot of them were 25 and under. One was only 17 years old. And um, side note, he had like faked his age at the age of 15 so that he could go fight in World War II. Okay. And then saw combat and then flew this training mission because he was learning to be a combat pilot. Was he in the Air Force in World War II or? No. Okay. No. So I think the only person um, who like saw combat it like in the air in World War II was Lieutenant Taylor. Okay. A lot of the students actually had indeed seen combat, but it was on the ground. Okay. Okay. Um, and they were from like all the different branches of the military. Okay. Um, that's where the like hierarchy lines get confusing because there was actually one who technically may have outranked Lieutenant Taylor. Actually, I should have thought to ask that at the beginning. I just assumed this was U.S. Air Force, right? That's a good point because the U.S. Air Force was not established until 1947, almost a full two years after this took place. So this was a naval base. So this was a Navy mission then? Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Okay. Wow. Okay. But, like, these students were from all branches of the military, and the person who outranked, or possibly, like, it gets confusing with the different, like, hierarchies of the military, um, but there's argument that Captain E.J. Powers, who, if you'll remember, was heard by Flight 18 over the radio. He was a Marine. Mm-hmm. And... There's some argument that he kind of may have outranked Lieutenant Taylor and may have sort of had the power to pull rank and be like, hey, we need to go west. Was Powers the one who was saying I'm going to turn west earlier? We don't know. That person was unidentified. That's right. But there is some, like, there's some theory that at least one of these planes did break formation and go west. But that plane was also not found. Based on what evidence or just... Just uh, this radio transmission. Just that radio call. Okay. Another really interesting point that I have to stress is the compasses. So the Avenger actually has two compasses. So two compasses would have to be malfunctioning for them to end up in the totally wrong position. Like, two would have to be going bad at the same time. And this is an entirely technical question, but is this, like, they've got two. Is one of them just, like, your literal, just old-school compass, or would the electronics on the plane just mess up that kind of an old-school compass? I think they're both old-school compasses. Okay. And when I say old-school compasses, I just mean just a piece of metal that's just designed to just radiate with the Earth's magnetic field. So... This was another thing that we kept coming back to in my interview that my dad, pilot Gary Stevenson, stressed a lot. Okay. Do you think it's possible that he really did experience some kind of malfunction or some problem with his compass? That's the crazy thing right there. I think that is one of the most interesting things about Flight 19 is he had reported his compasses weren't working. Two compasses. There's two compasses on this aircraft. There's what is known as a directional gyro, which is on the instrument panel, which is basically a circular instrument 
and it's got the the directions of a compass on it, north, south, east, west, all the degrees and whatnot in between. There's also a wet compass that is attached to the canopy of the aircraft above the pilot's head, which is basically a, a ball compass that's floating in alcohol. They're they're not connected in any way. They're mechanically they run different ways. I mean, literally the 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 wet compass is just a magnet um, turning forward magnetic north. The directional gyro is is a mechanical uh, instrument. So if he was having problems with both compasses, that was a little weird for the very simple fact. Like I said, they're not interconnected. What's affecting one should not affect the other unless there's some kind of magnetic field issue that would cause things to kind of go sideways with the compass. But what's also very interesting to me is there were four other airplanes with a total of eight more compasses in that flight. And there is one transmission that is heard by one of the other planes that says, why don't we just turn to the west? We'll find the coast of Florida. Why, why, why do we keep doing this? Why don't we just turn west? So, I, I don't know. It, 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 whatever was going on had Taylor extremely confused. Um, like I said, it, if, and it, hindsight's giving like 2020. I mean, if I was leading the flight, that would have been one of the first things that I said if I thought I had an instrument malfunction is what are you guys seeing in the other airplanes? And if you're seeing something different than me, are, are all the other aircraft seeing that same thing? And let's turn and go home because another thing too was the question was raised, why didn't the other planes just turn west? And, and follow their compasses. And they thought that the chain of command was just so strong that they were gonna stay with their flight leader. The more that I think about those compasses, the weirder this gets. Mm -hmm. Like the more confusing it is to try and figure out where exactly they were. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's only like a few things that will mess up like, a, like an actual like compass. Like, like not like an electronic compass, like an actual old school compass, which is like, you know, another magnet or like an intense source of electricity. Mm -hmm. Because, yeah, that'll mess up the electromagnetic field. But other than that, I mean, you got to push a decent amount of electromagnetism to mess with the Earth's field. But the, and then even if this is like a chain of command thing and like one person is confused... Are four other planes going to fly around for hours and just humor this just because that's their boss when it's a life or death situation? I mean... And, and I mean, that's that's a totally the, the, intense the, experience that I've never been a part of, but it is a, it is a question that's a part of this. I mean, authority is a powerful force. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm sure there's plenty of experiences that... Yeah, I mean, I mean people do all kinds of crazy things yeah. just because someone told them to like yeah that's a rabbit hole but yeah but lieutenant taylor himself was a very experienced and competent pilot and he had been in far more stressful experiences than this training flight like he had just been through war which the and see that's it all your things they're saying are credit to him his students would have been thinking the same thing. Mm -hmm. And this would have caused them to second... That it, it would cause me to second guess. Like, is 
as good of an idea as I think I have about how, like, the Earth looks and individual islands look. If I knew I was working under someone who had that kind of experience, I'd second-guess myself. I'd be like, this doesn't look anything like the Florida Keys, but this dude has said it, like, so competently that, like, I'm going to agree with him. And that only falls under the circumstance of this, that Taylor was, in fact, confused. Because what if he wasn't? He was saying, I know exactly where I am, and the water looks wrong. Like, the clouds look wrong. Mm -hmm. Like, it looks different. And his is really the only account that we have of that. Mm-hmm. That is creepy. Saying the water looks wrong is a creepy thing to say. Yeah, it, it's it's super unsettling. Allegedly, also, before this um, training exercise, he had asked to be removed from the flight. And we don't know why. There's also some speculation that he got confused with like another instructor who was sick but Hmm. there's been so Hmm. much and even to this day lieutenant taylor in a way like carries the blame of this like initially in the investigation it, it came down on him as as totally like some negligence on his part his fault I mean, I I wouldn't say negligence, but I mean, he was in charge, right? I mean, he was the instructor. He was the teacher. I mean, even if he wasn't negligent, I mean, you know, culpability is his, right, in the scenario. I think that has to be agreed upon, right? Like, 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 he had responsibility in the scenario is what I'm saying. It had been placed on him. That's what they decided, but also he can't speak for himself like he didn't get to speak for himself in these trials no one who was a part of this mission got to tell their own part of the story this was decided on behalf of everyone who was lost no i'm just i'm just saying in like a in like a chain of command situation the person with the highest authority ultimately holds the highest responsibility i mean if that's how it works but i don't know i'm not really a part of that so i can't really speak to that yeah no i'm not i'm not gonna i I wasn't there no i'm just saying like ultimately like over the years there's been a lot of discussion and blame citing that uh because he asked to be removed from the flight that he was somehow unfit or maybe even hung over because he was partying too much which again based on people who knew him and their testimony that is not factual uh, some people. E- either way, that sounds like that shouldn't really be. Yeah. Relevant. And and there were people who who knew him who spoke and testified that they you know spoke to him day of and they were like no he was fine. But but also again this is the military there's always someone higher up to where if he was hungover that day then someone higher up should have. But I've never had a hangover that. and been like I am three hundred miles from where I'm supposed to be. No, usually I just oversleep. <laughs> Oh, he was late that day. Allegedly. I don't know. Um, some people also claim that he was just too egotistical to admit that he was wrong and not over the keys. And led for the charade for several hours because he couldn't admit he was wrong. Mm-hmm. I don't know the guy. I have known people who would do that kind of thing. <laughs> um, ultimately, he was blamed 
and found guilty for the loss of Flight 19 and, I guess by association, the loss of the Mariner. Wait, are you saying this dude was tried in absentia? Kind of, because they, they you, wanted... You, wait, they, they actually did... They held a trial. Like, they wanted to find who was at fault. Like, they That's needed wild. someone to blame. That's wild. This dude was tried... Like, I, mean, I don't know if it was like a trial by a trial. jury, but they did an investigation and they found... That he was at fault. No, I mean, I, yeah, it would have been a military trial, but I didn't. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, yeah, I guess you can try people in abstention. Like that's. That's how his family felt. That's... So his mother and his aunt came back at the Navy and said, "Absolutely not. This is not how going to be how my lost child is remembered." So she got a lawyer who, coincidentally, knew him, served with him. Uh huh. To fight this and had him exonerated of all charges. Yeah, I mean, like, like when I say like responsibility was his, like people can be responsible and yet also it not being like a court martial <laughs> type thing. Like, like, like basically when I say he was responsible, I mean he was he was the person who was put in charge that day. Like, technically, yes, he was responsible for his students, but like it's. it's... Something weird happened. Something happened that we don't know and we can't judge. Yeah, pe- people can be responsible and yet also not to blame. Does, does that make sense? No, but I, okay. I feel like in spirit, I'm there with you. Okay, like like suppose I was to get a group of people together and I was to be like, let's do this thing. And it fucks up. I could be responsible and yet it could also not be my fault. Like Technically, it was yes. outside for that's that's what that's how I'm saying. I'm saying yes, he was responsible because you know, someone's responsible. It's like saying a teacher is responsible for everything that happens in their classroom. To a certain extent, yes, but also there are going to be things that are outside of the realm of that teacher's like knowing or understanding or like things that that teacher cannot control okay. or change. See that that's the thing I'm saying. Like responsible, but also not to blame too mm-hmm. because yeah the whole point of this training mission was to would you say fly blind yeah it was like practicing navigation with the bombing run yes the whole point was to fly blind and i mean so what you had the blind leading the blind on this like ultimately we don't know what taylor experienced we don't know what his students experienced we have no idea what happened we don't even know where those planes are to this day They've never been found. Mm-hmm. They've never been found. The Mariner's never been found. We have no idea what happened. Yeah, for me, the one that's really crazy is the Mariner. Like, what do people have to say about that? Like, that's that's the weird one. So most people just consider that a cut and dry. It exploded on takeoff. The end. And, like, they didn't see it? That oil tanker thinks it saw a fireball. But wouldn't the people right there at the runway have seen it? I guess it got far enough away that, like, five minutes later? I don't know. We were just near the Nashville airport earlier. You can see those planes a long way off. I don't know. Every, every Every source that I read was just like, sources say that there was an oil slick and a fireball, so case closed, and that's it. Like, that's it. That's all the information about this Mariner that there is. They're all just like, that's to be expected of the Mariner. It is a flying gas tank. So the Mariner was considered to be an accident-prone aircraft? Allegedly. 
So I I did bring that up in my interview with my uh-huh. pilot father. Uh-huh. He, with outside of the context of this story, did not know that about the Mariner, and he's kind of a plain enthusiast. Uh-huh. So I thought it was interesting that every source I read was like, it's a flying gas tank, like whatever, like they were known to explode. He was like, not that I know of. <laughs> Like, I don't know if these planes do explode. So these sources are basically saying this plane's like the Ford Pinto of, like, aircraft or something. So I thought that was interesting. They're very case-closed about this Mariner of just, like, it was an unfortunate accident. But everything that I read about this was either cut-and-dry human error, Lieutenant Taylor is at fault, or... This is this is aliens. This is just way out there, like unexplainable clickbait. Mm-hmm. Because this happened in the Bermuda Triangle, mm-hmm. and this was the first big story of the Bermuda Triangle. This huh. is the thing that really popularized it. So Bermuda Triangle is a lot younger than I thought. Then yes but no because this was first published in the 60s and 70s and it was citing flight 19 but it was bringing in things that happened in the 1800s and before okay so that lines up with okay that lines up with my understanding okay so now it's become this big battle and overcorrection of is this perfectly explainable or is this the bermuda triangle where the answer may very well lie in the middle it's just funny what you say when you're telling me that people say that what happened with missing Flight 19 is super mysterious, but this disappearing rescue plane is super explainable. I wasn't there. Like, and I don't want to just speculate wildly. It's okay. Everyone else died. does. Everyone else wants to speculate wildly about what happened. Yeah, like, I mean, ultimately, like, you know, people died. It was a tragedy. Like, but, you know, me personally and everyone I know who has not been abducted by aliens in the Bermuda Triangle, that one takes much more of a stretch to get to than the human error thing. To me, the thing that really makes this sound weird, one is the comment from Taylor that the ocean doesn't look right. Mm Mm-hmm. And the fact that the rescue plane went missing, too. Mm -hmm. Because I understand that coincidences do happen and two accidents can happen back-to-back. I understand that, yes, in in the realm of probability, that happens. Mm -hmm. However, just that then combined with the weirdness Mm -hmm. of the comments on the first one is what really throws. Especially if this plane, as they're saying, supposedly something happened shortly after takeoff... I'm looking at Google Maps, mm-hmm. and I'm looking at the Bahamas, and I look at the satellite view of Google Maps, and it shows ocean, like terrain, underwater. Mm-hmm. And you go just east of the Bahamas, and the continental shelf drops right off into one of the deepest parts of the Atlantic. Mm-hmm. And think like the Titanic. When the Titanic sunk, it took them a long time to find that big ship in the deepest part of the ocean. Mm-hmm. If those planes had just accidentally kept flying east and gone down that part of the ocean, when people say they never found them, I mean, you would never find that. Yeah, and that's but fair. Like, in the deepest part of the ocean, like, 
yeah, it, that that far down, it took them that long to find the Titanic. They're not going to find four planes down there. However, five planes. Five planes. Yeah, there were five five Avengers on the mission. So. Five, five. That's Sorry. right. I just that's I just right. want to make sure we're right. That, that's that's right. That's right. Because you're, it's Taylor and then the other four. Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. The one that gets me that I think that I'm like, why wouldn't they have found would have been the rescue mission one. Mm-hmm. The Mariner, yeah. You mentioned this oil tanker, and yeah, oil tankers move slow. It would have taken them a long time to reach the area after they saw this crash supposedly happen. But th- th- they should have still found a little bit of something. Yeah, they found nothing. They found no debris, just an oil slick. And... Yes, oil slicks don't just happen out of nowhere. It's mm-hmm. not like oil just emerges out of the water. But they wouldn't have gotten there that slow. They, they should have still found, like, something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that, that's actually, to me, the one that really stretches, like, mm-hmm. my understanding of reality, actually. Even if, excuse me, even if you're saying that people describe this thing as being supposedly an accident-prone aircraft. The fact that you're saying that it would have taken off that soon after and no one else saw a fireball? Because mm-hmm. it sounds like it would have. this would have happened fairly close to the coast. Like From but, how I've read every source, it would have been pretty fast, yeah. Uh, I, I don't know, because if I heard this story... And I just heard about the first few missing craft. Uh, I would have said this is this is just a very unfortunate story of just instruments went wrong. It was getting dark, and someone mistook the Bahamas for the Florida Keys. It's the second craft that makes it weird for me. Interesting. Okay. Which doesn't sound like that's. And, of course, I'm just hearing this story in depth for the first time, so mm-hmm. I might be missing some key points of information that other people have, but for me, it's the second craft that really makes it weird. It's interesting, because for most people, the second craft is just sort of like an accoutrement to this. Yeah. They, that They're very dismissive about that second craft. Huh, Okay. Either way, the Bermuda Triangle has been popularized in the last 50 years due to a number of mysterious disappearances and equipment malfunctions. The Bermuda Triangle expands from Florida to Bermuda to Puerto Rico in, you guessed it, a triangle. Oh, it goes further south than I thought. For some reason, I thought it was like Florida to the Bahamas and up to Bermuda. It's actually really big, if you look. It's like bigger huge. than I thought. Yeah. So it was really popularized in the 60s and 70s with a couple articles and books and has since been widely debated and Mm -hmm. has become kind of like, I feel like it went from like a super like established urban legend to like a clickbaity thing and has now almost fallen out of fashion in the last couple years. The most recent thing I remember was someone like did just like just the numbers about the number of flights and boats that go through that area versus other like major shipping lanes in the world and they found out that statistically it's actually one of the safer ones on the world really yeah <laughs> uh, obviously of course there's other things going on you know like there's 
you know, piracy in other parts of the world and things, but... <clears throat> I guess it would have been really a hotspot for pirates, you know, like, back two or three hundred years ago. Yeah, yeah. back during our Outer Banks episode. Yeah, in the Outer Banks episode. <laughs> uh, nevertheless, there are still a fair number of pilots and ship captains who report mechanical malfunctions in the Triangle that they cannot explain. Whether you believe that there is something mysterious happening in the Bermuda Triangle or not, there are still a large number of mysterious disappearances that have occurred in that area over the years. In 1814, the USS Wasp disappeared with 140 people aboard. That's the one I actually heard. Really? I, I The first story I heard about it was that one. The Wasp? Because there's so many people on it. I don't know. I, I mean, I heard it when I was a kid, but I yeah, heard about the... Uh, okay. But yeah, I, I heard about yeah the... Yeah. Oh, I had to dig for that one, but okay. Um, in 1918, the USS Cyclops disappeared with 302 people on board. Sorry. Nope. It was a Cyclops. I had a feeling. <laughs> that, yep. Yep. I, I knew it was like a anthropomorphic thing, but yep. Nope. It's not a wasp. It's a Cyclops. Yep. That's it. Um, you re- may remember in, again, the Outer Banks episode, uh, the Carol A. Deering from 1921 passed through the Bermuda Triangle and often gets cited with mm-hmm. being a part of that with its crew disappearing. I would argue against that, but if you want to hear more, listen to episode 12. In 1948, a Douglas DC-3, which is an airplane, disappeared with 39 people on board. And back on the water in 1967, a captain cruiser witchcraft disappeared after calling for help after their propeller got stuck. The propeller got stuck, they called for help, and when rescue teams came out, there was nothing there. Which is super creepy. That is... I hate that. I, like, I found that at the end of my research. Like, you should just be just floating dead in the water. (gasps) That was so creepy. I didn't like that one. Um, this was like, I had to include that one for creep factor because that bothered me so bad. Just, you know, just... Tentacles? No, no, no. In 1978, Eastern Caribbean Airways Flight 1912 disappeared. And in 2005, a Piper PA-23 disappeared with three people on board. And in 2020, back on the water, a Mako Cuddy cabin vessel disappeared with 20 people on board. Ultimately, we don't know what's going on in the Bermuda Triangle. There's a lot mm-hmm. of theories about, like, aliens and electromagnetic fields, like, messing with technology. It's all weird. We don't know what's going on, though. I mean, the sea will have its share, but, like, I don't know. The ocean's scary. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, the ocean's a scary place. Like, I love the water, but... Yeah. Yeah, the, the ocean is a scary place. You hear about when, like, boats are out in the water, and they thought it was just, like, an old sea captain's tale about just, like, giant rogue waves. And then recently when they've had buoys out in the ocean, like, they finally just measured just, like, these random gigantic waves. Like, just many stories high can just swallow, like, modern big vessels. And, like, all those videos you can see on YouTube are just, like, vessels cracking in half from waves. Like, it's a mm. scary place. Remember when we were in middle school and they proved, like, the existence of the giant squid? Oh, yeah. That was upsetting. I didn't like that. Oh, yeah. As far as Flight 19 goes, I will leave you with this. 21 days 
after the flight went missing. Sergeant George Richard Payonessa's family received a telegram that said, you have been misinformed about me. I am very much alive. Georgie. Georgie was his nickname that allegedly no one else would have known. Several sources say that this is a hoax. Oh, that's sad. But the family, it seems like the family may have thought that this was actually from him. Oh, no. Oh, that's sad. That hurts. Yeah. That is, oh, that hurts. That's sad to hear. Yeah. Oh, no. In the 1960s, an Avenger was found in the Everglades with two bodies in it. At first, they said it was from Flight 19, and then they said it wasn't. So we still don't know. Do you think that it is possible they encountered something that is not explainable with our current understanding of science? As a scientist, as a person who grew up with nine planets in the solar system, and now there's hundreds, if not thousands of planets that we're aware of, um, the different types of lightning that we're now aware of, you know, I think it's it's conceivable. I mean, it is it is absolutely conceivable that there was some kind of disturbance that maybe threw its compass off. Um, yeah, there are a lot of things that have happened, weird oddities that have happened in that area of the Bermuda Triangle. Um, I'm not saying the little green men came down like a close encounter to the third time and scooped up the aircraft, but you know. I think the one thing about being open-minded is being open-minded to the point where we don't know everything, that there could be possibilities out there of things that we haven't discovered that we don't know. Um, the scenario that we talked about where he thought he was in the Keys, he flew too far north, ended up into you know, the Atlantic off the north coast of Florida, more than likely, that's where those five aircraft are sitting on the ocean floor right now. Um, is there a 2% chance that something else happened that caused all this? I'm certainly not going to say, no, that's impossible. Because it is, it is possible. It is, it is possible that, like you said, there's, there's things that we just don't understand that could have happened. You kept telling me you thought you didn't have enough information for this episode, and you answered all my questions. Yes, well, I so I wanted to do enough research so that I could answer any questions, but you asked all of the questions, every single question. <laughs> so, I'm sorry I talked forever. I wanted to be thorough. Every time I think I have a short story, I find a way to make it really long. I need to work on that. That's okay. It might edit down. It might not. I'm 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 sorry. I'm very sorry. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Sorry. It's better than not having the content and not talking about anything much. Actually, I was the one who was talking about not much at the beginning of yours, and I was uh <laughs> making the bad jokes. Well, thank you very much for sticking around and listening to yet another very long-winded story that I have told. Mm -hmm. It was good fun. I enjoyed it. Do you want to spoil the next episode? Because we oh. just figured out our lineup for the next few months. Yes, we've got we've got some alien stuff. 
mm-hmm. next time. Alien shenanigans. Mm-hmm. But until then, please remember to like, share, and subscribe. Remember to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcast, and you can do that now on Spotify, too. Mm-hmm. Um, you can email us your personal tales of haunted, creepy things mm-hmm. at spookystorypodcast at gmail.com. That is all one word, spooky with an I. Mm-hmm. Of course it's all one word. It's an email address. What am I talking about? There's no underscores. Can you put underscores in email addresses? I think so. Is it addresses or address I? Like funguses or fungi? You can also follow us on Instagram. I will get back into that account. That is, again, Spooky Story Podcast. All one word. Spooky with an I. Um, also find us on TikTok and Twitter. And now we have YouTube. Mm-hmm. So please subscribe to Archive Miscellanea. Mm-hmm. And we will be under the Spooky Story playlist. Archive Miscellanea is two words. Yes, that's two words. And check us out on Patreon. Mm-hmm. Where a lot of will... things to list at the end. I know. We just yeah, got all the things to list now. Next, we got to open up a P.O. box. People can send us a letter. <laughs> I'm sorry. My brain just shut down. I feel like I just got, I just, I feel like I just got assigned another task. Nope. Another nope, side nope, quest. Nope, 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 and nope. my brain was like, no, I have to fight Dragon. Nope. That is main quest. Nope. I don't know what I'm talking about. Nope, nope. We do not need to open up a PO box. <laughs> but yeah, we did a lot this episode. I think we can probably just... Yeah, we'll, we'll just go. We'll go now. Yeah, we'll, Goodbye. we'll wrap it up until next time. Yeah. It'll be, yes. We'll, we'll see you then. Yes. It'll be great. We'll talk about aliens. Goodbye. You have, have a good week. Safe travels. Good luck. Don't let the bed bugs bite. My name is Peter. And I'm Rena. And this was one of the weirder outros that we've done in a while. This is Spooky Story Podcast. We're... Okay, bye. (laughs) What are we doing? (laughs) I'm just like, it gets so weird every time. (laughs) I don't let the bed was fun. No, that was fun. I was just like so unprepared for it. (laughs) I hope we have haunted you today. Don't, don't let the lightning hot. Let's do this next time. <laughs>
incredibly detailed maps from I like they said it was like which is just I'm just making an assumption what do they know but they were like saying it was like you know Cold War era but it was talking about like like basically just like bombing places like places that would get bombed in the US and like it was it was like an evac plan for nuclear war. Great, thanks. Do you want to know what one of the uh, do you want to know the biggest target in our home state was? In our home state? Yeah. North Carolina. Um, what would they target in North Carolina? Mm-hmm. More than more than Fort Bragg, more than Seymour Johnson Air Force Base. Is it an Air Force Base? No. Is it the capital? No. Is it Greensboro? It's Greensboro. Oh. All those oil tanks that are there off of I-40 where Colonial Pipeline has like its big hub. Yeah. Uh, they, They were saying that it was like indicated by circles and that like the biggest one kind of like the mid Atlantic area was like, yeah, where the, that Colonial Pipeline hub at Greensboro is for what like potential nuclear targets would be. Okay, I think I I hate that I hate it. I don't like it. I don't I don't want it. I don't I don't I don't claim this. <laughs> I don't claim this energy. I don't <laughs> like it. Anyway, that was flight nineteen. I'm done. We're good. I'm done. This is this is the end of my story. <laughs> <laughs> this is it. All right. Yep. The Everglades is creepy, and the sea will have its own. <laughs> Um, special thanks to my father for his interview for this. I will be making the full interview available on our brand new Patreon. Ooh, exciting first content. Yes. Okay. Um, I did at the end ask him about, um, some of his own personal paranormal experiences, which is fun to get those firsthand accounts. I heard a couple stories that even I didn't know. Um, so that's super exciting. Was there anything creepy you did as a little kid? No, I didn't do anything weird as a kid, apparently. Oh, I did. Yeah, you don't, you do weird, <laughs> you do weird stuff. That, okay, you're creepy as a full-ass grown adult, so. <laughs> when you phrase it that way, it's not cute anymore. It's not cute. It's not cute at all. Um. That's good. Okay. So we need to do... Let's go ahead and make a stop right there because we...